Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today we have a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and it is about psychedelic medicines. And I've invited Jacqueline to come on the show to help me talk about psychedelics. So Jacqueline was asking me if these psychedelic medicines can help with people's attachment. And I think that they can. So I personally work with ketamine in my practice because ketamine is the only legal medicine that we can use in the state of California that helps produce these non-ordinary states of consciousness. And what happens when we're in these non-ordinary states of consciousness is that our default mode network kind of takes a step back. Now, this is our kind of always, it's like that computer that's always humming in the background. And it can sound like anything from, what am I going to get at the grocery store to ruminating thoughts? And this can really get in the way of us developing a deeper attachment within ourselves. So in my private practice, I work with ketamine, and I also work at a clinic in Santa Monica called Home LA. So if you're interested in ketamine, please feel free to reach out. So there are other psychedelic medicines that people work with. In Oregon and Colorado, psilocybin is legal. And we are on track to legalizing MDMA. Other psychedelic medications that people work with are LSD, 5-MAO-DMT, which can also be really helpful in getting and developing a deeper connection, not only with yourself, but also with the world at large. So one of the drugs that has been used in clinical studies has been MDMA. Now, MDMA is really great to help people develop a more secure attached sense of themselves. And what happens is, is that you develop this being able to go into this place of self-compassion because MDMA puts you in this non-ordinary state of consciousness where you can start to feel like a lovable person. And you can also explore those younger parts of yourself that feel unlovable, unworthy, and unwanted, and extend some self-compassion to those younger parts. So MDMA really helps you get to go back to that abandoned child or all of those little abandoned children that may have experienced some childhood abandonment and feel compassion towards them. You know, the thing is, when I think about MDMA, psilocybin, I'm not a hundred. I'm not an expert in all of these. And actually, Huberman Lab has some really good episodes, kind of breaking down each of the psychedelics. Mm -hmm. But I know that psilocybin and MDMA are both serotonin producers. So yes. take them in large doses, right? Like for those of us who struggle with anxiety, one of the linkings around that is actually lower lower serotonin, right? Yes. And depression. Right. So that's part of what helps open us up to that state of compassion, which is one of those pillars of secure attachment, the ability to be kind towards oneself as well as others while still knowing boundaries. And, you know, one of the things, Mary, you and I have spoken about before is there are certain areas of the brain that traditional talk therapy just cannot access. So you have to use things like psychedelics, uh, somatic therapies, EMDR, stuff that's taking you out of that kind of logic state 
Because if we think about it, trauma doesn't make sense, right? It's turning the world uh, on its head as we know it. And when our brains are still trying to make sense of the world in the old way, that's where we kind of run up against that wall because we actually have to understand the world, understand ourselves in a new way in order to move through it. And so when you speak around uh, about psychedelics in this in this way, it makes a lot of sense, right? We're having another world experience in order to readjust to a different way of seeing and being in the world. Well, also psychedelics help us get out of what we call our default mode network. So mm-hmm. that's, again, going talking about the logical brain. That's the part of the brain that like anywhere from making the laundry list of things I need to do today to all the way to the other extreme of having these ruminating thoughts that we can't turn off. So these, and that's why like these are states of consciousness, right? So our prefrontal cortex is when we are in our decision-making, it's our computer brain. And so that's why these psychedelic therapies, and I emphasize therapy because if I'm just doing some mushrooms, you know, by myself, I may have these like really great breakthroughs But what is really important is having a therapeutic alliance with another person who knows how to guide people through these experiences, because it can really provide a safe and supportive space for individuals to address attachment-related issues and help process them. Because a lot of times when we do have these experiences, I see this a lot with people who do ayahuasca. They go on their ayahuasca retreat, have their weekend and with people who are quote unquote healers and they have this really profound experience. But what they don't do is they do not do what we love to call the integration piece. It's like, okay, what came up in these profound experiences that you want to integrate into your life? So if I have this profound experience around my mother, Maybe I felt abandoned by my mother and now I can see her. I can like work through some of that ancestral trauma. Now I see her as an abandoned person and I have a deeper uh, sense of empathy and compassion for her. And I come out of the ayahuasca weekend. I love my mother, right? And so then I go spend time with her and we start to go back into those old patterns of being. So How can I take that experience and bring it into my therapy and start developing a deeper understanding within myself and keep working with that neuroplasticity of that understanding so that when I do go and visit my mom, I can take a pause where I can say, oh, I see how we're going back into these old patterns and I can choose a different way of being with her instead of falling back into the pattern, which is, I love that, that saying when people say, I just fell back into the pattern. I can actually stand on the edge of that pattern, get curious about it and be a different way with my mom. Yeah. When you look at this from the lens of attachment and going back into why it's so important to do this in a therapeutic setting, first of all, all the evidence out there is around therapeutic practices integrated with psychedelics. So it's not just people having an experience. And I think that's important to note. It's part of what creates safety within the experience that you know someone's there who's not using, who has experience, who can hold the tethering if something intense comes up for you and knows how to how to bring you back, right? 
as well as I just want to say for it's contraindicated, certain like psilocybin, for example, is contraindicated if there's any history of schizophrenia, a schizophrenia in the family tree. Important to know, right? So yes. I, there's no one there size. Are, there are contraindications. So definitely. And, Look at look at your look at your family history before you go jumping on the bandwagon thinking this is the answer. And when we go to looking at this around attachment styles, like one of the pitfalls, as you had mentioned, Mary, was around, for example, somebody who has this amazing breakthrough around having empathy for their mother, but then goes back into the old patterns. The integration part can develop, like you said, around, oh, now I have this compassion. I see this thing with a little bit of space. So the integration comes in to say, oh, well, now how am I going to do it differently? My brain now has a little more space to remind myself in the moment of interjecting a new pattern, right? Or what do I need to you know, tell myself as I interact with my mother so I'm not repeating the same dynamic? If you are somebody who runs more avoidant, for example, psychedelics can take you to amazing spaces where you can see things that we cannot see in this, in this material world. You can connect with the immaterial world. And it can take you farther away from connecting with others because you are so connected to that world. So again, if you're somebody who runs more avoidant, it can take you away if you are not integrating in, okay, how can I allow in that safety that I see in this other world, this connection to this beautiful immaterial world, how can I take that into feeling safe and connected with others? Because remember, the root of that avoidant attachment, all insecure attachment is really like a lack of safety, right? But for avoidance, it's I'm deeply afraid I won't be able to take care of your needs or you won't be able to meet mine. So I'm going to go just be that lone wolf or that island over here. And psychedelics can take you further down that. Oh, I'm just having this great experience. I'm just going to go do this. I'll feel better. I'll feel better. But you're still not learning that part around how to communicate, how to connect more, how in real time to understand where your system's dysregulated to give yourself that space and that compassion that you mentioned, Mary. For those who run more anxious, the psychedelic experience can bring up even more anxiety to the surface, right? We could say, oh, I had a really bad experience. Now what do I do? We also need integration around that. Like I had a bad trip. This, this was scary. And what, what part of that can be, oh, I see that my body can handle. I can learn to trust my body, even in a state of fear that sometimes can come up with a psychedelic experience, right? So integrating that part too. And that's just one example of many different options that can happen. It can also be an amazing experience. But the anxious part of us can say, oh, I feel so great. I feel so high and happy now. I'm good until the anxiety creeps back in. So again, it's using that, I feel so happy, I'm good. Like, how can I bring that to the day-to-day? -day? What are the new patterns? And that's the integration Mary and I are talking about. And I love that you bring up the differences between how people who run anxious can respond to this type of experience versus people who run avoidant. So one of the things that happens when you do some of the more psychedelic medicines like psilocybin or LSD, or 5-MAO, is that you may experience a mystical type of experience. So a mystical experience is a sense of unity or the experience of interconnectedness with all that exists, which can, which can involve the complete dissolution of the self with loss of all ego boundaries. It can be a very scary place to be, right? So 
what they found was that this study that I read was that individuals with high attachment anxiety, given their characteristic overemphasis on proximity maintenance with important others, may be primed to welcome the unity and interconnectedness that can accompany a mystical type of experience rather than resist being overwhelmed by its onset. So what they also found is that individuals with high attachment avoidance, given their inclination to maintain control and remain separate, which is what you've just been talking about, might have a greater challenging experience with psilocybin. And so one stu- the study that I b- was reading found a significant reduction in, intach- in attachment anxiety at three months post-intervention compared to baseline, but there was no notable change in attachment avoidance. It's so funny. I think of that in real time and I think of people I know in that same state. And again, it's that lack of integration that does it. So that's where you go back to, okay, you know, if you're somebody who has access to these things that are not legal in most states, how you use it is going to be pivotal as far as getting care. You know, one of the things, Mary, you had mentioned, you know, with that anxious, the anxious part of us, and I think about how like anxious people, they're they're almost, I don't want to say too sensitive, but acutely sensitive. And that can actually be a benefit, not just something that causes pain, right? Because it's also an ability, that openness, that flexibility mm-hmm. is there. Yes. So stuff can move quicker. But again, going back to, we have to remember our brains are trained and like deeply imprinted. Think about how many years you've been responding in certain ways. And when I say responding, I mean thinking negative thoughts, right? And if you have any kind of PTSD, for example, you might have more of an aptitude or let's say inclination for going straight to the negative, right? Sometimes, we, why, why do I feel negative in life? Well, you might have had past trauma and that is actually a symptom of PTSD. I go towards the negative. It's hard for me to stay in the positive. And so what we want, the goal is open you up for that experience and have it more sustained, right? And so that's going to take time, right? That pattern re-imprinting, right? To continue to build those neural pathways is not just like, a one undone. You know, if you're training for the Olympics and you win one amazing competition, wonderful. But think about all the other work that it took to get there, right? And so this is the same, that psychedelics are one part that might help. And again, there's no one size fits all, especially if we do integration, might help even more in getting there. There's still the daily work, right? None of us, none of us get away from that. We all have to feed ourselves every day. We all have to get enough sleep, right? Like there's all these things we have to do in life to maintain a sense of mental well-being. Yeah. And um, I think I think with these these medicines like psilocybin and MDMA, which are, you know, work with the serotonin, they bind to the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor you know, they're really flooding the brain with serotonin. So I think what happens too is serotonin is about attraction and eventually attraction becomes attachment. And so it's really helping people. What do you mean when you say attraction? Like feel more attracted to people, like more, you can feel this like more connected to people when you're, Mm -hmm. when you're Mm -hmm. under the influence of these drugs. The feeling more connected. I love that yeah. because anxious types oftentimes, right, they're, they're in distress because they're feeling disconnection really quickly, mm-hmm. 
right? Even when we're not necessarily disconnected, it's just looking for that intense experience to feel that connection more uh, than somebody who runs more secure, shall we say, and definitely more than somebody who runs avoidant. Yeah. And for some reason, it feels more, it can feel really deep as you're experiencing it with others, which is why you know people like to go to concerts and do drugs with their friends, because it's like you're having this experience where you feel really connected to your friends. And then you can look back on that experience, right, with, wow, wasn't that a good time? So it's like when you can reflect back on these really good experiences, that builds something in you, right? That work that can work with your your neuroplasticity. Although we don't recommend doing these drugs in social situations to really have that therapeutic effect. It really, they really should be done in a therapeutic setting. Because again, what happens is your therapist essentially is helping you build new neural pathways. Well, new, new neural pathways, but also like you're you're experiencing a secure attachment with your therapist. I mean, that is like the primary goal, right? Is to be able to experience security with your therapist. Like this is the person I can tell anything to, and they're not going to judge me. Yeah. which is essentially what we wanted as kids with our primary caregivers. But then their stuff got in the way, parents' stuff got in the way, caregiver stuff got in the way, you know, so we either went one way or the other in our attachment style. And so we are, we get to experience, as we get to experience that with our therapist and then our therapist guides us through this psychedelic journey, it can actually help increase that, bond with the secure attachment figure. And then you can internalize that experience that you're having with your therapist, that relationship with your therapist. You can internalize that because that's the goal is to be able to internalize that security and then go out in the world and be that way with others. Which I think, you know, when we look at psychedelics, right, it's like the opening to something Mm -hmm. different, something new, responding in a different way. And when you said internalize, just to make that clear for those of you out there who don't quite understand some of these times, these terms are really abstract. So what that would look like is I not only feel if you were my therapist, Mary, I'm safe. I'm feeling safe with you. I had this profound experience. Wow. You're mirroring that back to me and you are helping me integrate those new patterns, figuring out in those moments, like having the moments of firing of, oh, this is when I'm experiencing distress or dysregulation. And, you know, this is what I need right now. And let me explore that for myself and feeling that safety within. That's internalizing. Like you are helping me feel that inside uh, versus for an anxious type, they're overly relying on the external to bring that safety. It's a felt sense of internal safety, right? Mm -hmm. I know you have an interesting story around psychedelics for your, your own experience when, right, when you were doing a journey for, a, was it a ketamine journey? Yeah. So when I was doing my ketamine training, the first time I ever took ketamine in a therapeutic setting was actually during my ketamine training. And yeah, I had a very interesting experience. So when we, when I was doing ketamine training, we work in dyads. So you have a partner, so your partner sits with you and then you sit with your partner as they have their ketamine experience. So when I was in my ketamine experience, there was a a disruption 
in the uh, group process and somebody was having a really difficult time. So what happened was they took my partner who was sitting with me away from me. And so when I was coming to, I was super confused. I didn't know what was going on. This part, they're, they're asking me for consent, which is the hugest no-no when somebody is under the influence of any kind of drug, that's not the time to ask somebody for consent. So they asked me for, Hey, can we take, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on. The next day I had a total attachment rupture and Mm -hmm. I was speaking with a friend about it and they're like, wow, that sounds like that really hit a very deep attachment wound. And it was like, I felt like I was completely abandoned I spoke with the woman who was running the program and I said, Hey, you know, what happened? You taking my, my partner, you know, away. And she was like, well, I didn't even see it happening. I felt like I was, she blew me off so hard. Like she didn't know how to address it. She didn't want to address it. And she just kind of wandered off and I felt really left. And so it was like, not only did they take my partner away, so I felt abandoned then. And, and again, when you're under the influence, when you're taking ketamine, the 24 to 72 hours after you take ketamine are really is really a crucial time. So when I'm explaining to the woman who's running the program what happened and feeling completely blown off, that was not good for my neural pathways. And so I literally wanted to leave. And I actually went, I actually called uh, my husband and I was having a really hard time. I got so dysregulated. And I had no idea what to do. And I ended up addressing it with the group, which to me was a very healing experience as, as you know, to what happened and, and how I felt like that, how they felt like they dropped me and that they didn't really do anything to heal that. And that alone must have been really hard to do to like speak up to a group to have this different experience and say, hey, I struggled in this way. I felt dropped like that would be hard for many of us. Oh, it was I mean, especially since I do run avoidant, it was really hard. I spoke to a couple of people who suggested that I did that. And they were two people who I really trusted on the in the training. And so. So that was really helpful. And that was healing for me to have a couple of people to really speak deeply with. And also calling my husband, who's like, okay, how can you? He's like, you know, this is your opportunity to teach them something that they're missing. And not that I was getting paid to be a teacher because I was actually paying to be taught. But I, you know, I said, you know, that's a really good way of looking at it. It helped me reframe it. And so I think just speaking up, yeah, speaking up in this group setting where I had to, you know, talk to 30 people and let them know what my experience was. And what was really wonderful about that was that people, you know, came up to me and told me how brave I was and, you know, just said that was really incredible that I spoke about that. I also wanted to add that after we come out of these experiences, our brain is more malleable. There's what we're calling this critical learning period. And I think that what happened with me was that some of my attachment wounds got activated because my brain was in this very like malleable, porous state, right? So this is the time where we want to be building those positive 
neural connections and something very negative, something that reminded me of an attachment wound happened. And so that's why I think it's also really important to take care of yourself after you have these experiences and to put yourself into situations to do a lot of self-care that's going to take advantage of this critical learning period. So this experience really, again, emphasizes the importance of having somebody sit with you the entire time and then afterwards so that you can process what happened. Now, I've done my own personal journeying work by myself and because I just had, you know, some, I had my own personal intentions, why I decided to do it by myself. And I felt like, okay, I am fully resourced and there is somebody else in the house. So if I really do need somebody, they are there. But like, I, I just wanted to do the work in myself and then I can process it with my therapist. I didn't feel like I needed somebody to sit with me, but that is coming from somebody who's done this work a lot and feels fully resourced and wasn't it wasn't doing it irresponsibly you know uh, what came up in me is as you were sharing like your story in a professional capacity how even there there can be there can be let's say like it's not necessarily perfect or there are things that go wrong and so then I'm, i'm sure some of you are out there thinking well then why would i bother I encourage you to look at that side of yourself that says, why would I bother doing it in a professional capacity? It makes me think about people who have an experience with one bad therapist out there and say, oh, mm-hmm. therapy for me, I yeah. had a bad therapist. And the truth is there are a lot of bad therapists out there, right? What do you call a doctor who goes to med school and gets an A and a doctor who goes to med school and gets a C? A doctor. They <laughs> might be equal. Right. And, and I, and I, and I, I mean, and I admit I might be somebody's bad therapist. Well, it's, I think, you know, what I heard of what you said is you know, one thing I always share with my clients is like how to like make sure you're advocating for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because we're all humans and we're all imperfect. So there are going to be things that come up that, you know, might be failures on somebody's part. Right. And well, again, that's like how you build that rapport, right? And so when we're say. talking about the attachment styles, right, who who advocates for themselves and who doesn't advocate for themselves. And it's like the more you do advocate for yourself, again, what you like to say is like you're building that muscle. Well, it's also creating, you know, that sense of secure attachment mm-hmm. in the way that mm-hmm. you're able to advocate for exactly. yourself, right? Like learning specific language that really resonates with yourself, with 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 somebody else too, Right. Because it can also come from this intense like place of, oh, I'm so scared. My needs aren't going to be met. I've got to be over the top about all of this to make sure that I'm okay, which really signifies that your system's running on a lot of distress. And so going back to just, you know, how your story happened in this professional capacity, right? It was in a training and yet this was your experience. And for someone out there who's like, well, I don't want to risk that. Well, just remember, we we risk many things in our day-to-day life, even, I mean, walking across the street is a risk, yet we do it all the time, right? And we do things to the best of our ability to set us up for success. And yet there are certain things, a lot of things that are really out of our control. But what Mary and I are talking about is how to set yourself up for success so you get the most possible out of your experience if that's something that you choose to do. Right. So that it becomes fully integrated within. And even if there are things that happen in there, again, knowing how to handle them, communicating them, et cetera, so that it can continue to still be 
I don't want to say a positive experience, but an integrated one, right? Where you get what you need. I think it's really, I mean, for me, because I, I've never had a bad trip. So I think that for me, it was actually, I'm really glad that that happened because I can understand now when clients come in with a lot of anxiety around taking ketamine, you know, I can really kind of like lean into their anxiety with them. And, and I totally get it. And so I I have a better sense of what somebody may need around the anxiety and fear because I never I never experienced, oh, I'm scared to take this or I'm scared to take that. I was the person who's like, sure, I'll try that. So I think it was I think it was important for me to experience that. And then when I did my second ketamine experience in that retreat. It was so mind-blowing and so healing and so beautiful that I'm, you know, again, like when you were talking about advocating for yourself, you know, I'm really glad that I was able to advocate for myself, which allowed me to have this like really, really deep, amazing experience. And I did, it was an experience that I did not expect at all. I did not know that ketamine could take me to the place where I went. Well, you know, I also am imagining, right, like if you weren't in an environment where people even know how to hold trauma or let's say most people, you know, because or let's say attachment ruptures, just things that come up, right, the high distress that can come up. If you weren't in that environment, right, where we have these groups that aren't really trained to hold in that capacity, I've seen stuff come up in groups. And if you don't know how to hold that, that will be a problem for that person. And what we don't want to happen is if you have an experience like this, either it pushes you further into your insecure attachment style, right? And masks it with, I'm fine. Everything's fine for you avoidance out there. Or like the fantasy, this is so good. I had this great experience. Everything's fine in my life when we still have to do the work, right? Or even if something goes wrong, making sure that it's held in some way and that you're taken care of. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, really important to vet who the person is that you're going to do the work with, because as we know, MDMA, psilocybin, LSD, they are not, well, psilocybin is in Colorado and Oregon, but those, those, they're not yet legal. And so there's a lot of underground work that's being done with these medicines. And so it's really important to vet the person that you are going to be working with, because I've heard a lot of different stories where people do this underground work and they have a very challenging experience and they do not experience being held or being in a container or any understanding and then the the person who's facilitating the experience, I've heard this say, being said so many times, this has never happened to me before. And, you know, I don't really know what that means, but I know that I have received phone calls from people who've had really challenging experiences with these medicines and they come to me. And, you know, they're wondering, like, can can ketamine help get me out of this, this complete disruption of my psyche? It's very challenging to come out of that. And that's why it is so important to find a practitioner that has either been vetted by people that you trust 
or somebody that you are already working with. I would personally would not go into any kind of non-ordinary state of consciousness experience with somebody who I haven't met with several times, who I haven't developed a rapport with. And also be careful of working with somebody who's going to promise you a life-changing experience. Now, I have personally had some experiences where I was shown some things during my work that are life-changing, but the work is not during the journey. The work happens after the journey, what the journey has brought up and how I'm going to take that piece and how am I going to integrate it and constantly work with it throughout my life. And if you're going to embark on this work, I really encourage you to ask the practitioner a lot of questions, especially around their experience. I think it's really important that the practitioner has a lot of experience. And I'm going to encourage you to even do a deep dive on your internet search around this person. So do they have a website that just got published last year? And they're talking about how many thousands of people that they've helped? Or are they somebody who has been in this space, in this place for a number of years? The more experience somebody has, the more likely you are going to have a better experience yourself. So I just wanted to give you a basic overview of, you know, the different types of drugs or medicines that are out there to help you experience a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Again, I always encourage to do deeper work. If you want more information, please DM me on Instagram at Mary B Therapy or reach out to me on my website, marybtherapy.com. And thanks for listening.